This is the first day of this November five-day online session. And I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, at the end of the October session, October online session, uh, reading from an anthology called Zen Essence, uh, and it's translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. It's a collection of teachings, short, short entries uh, from various uh, Chinese Chan uh, masters. Uh, I left off last time uh, reading from Zen master Foyan. Uh, he lived in the 10th and 11th centuries in China, of course. <clears throat> uh, in the back of the book are just short thumbnail biographical sketches of uh, each of these masters. Um, something I... Uh, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, <clears throat> But I'm just going to pick up uh, the, the passage here uh, following uh, the last one from the October Sashin. An ancient Zen master, seeing a monk go down a staircase, called to him, Venerable One. Venerable One, this is the traditional Buddhist uh, way of addressing uh, a, um, a monk. Um, you, you see in the, in this country, you see references in uh, articles uh, about Zen centers and other Buddhist centers, the term uh, reverend. Uh, but it's so Christian. So we're going to stick with the usual translation from the Chinese, and that is venerable one or the venerable <clears throat> So this master, seeing the monk going downstairs, calls to him, Venerable One. The monk turned around, at which the Zen master said, From birth to old age, it's just you. Why turn your head and resolve your brains? Uh, and it says, The monk understood Zen at this remark. Now, does that mean he came to awakening? Well, we don't know. It doesn't say. The translator said he understood Zen at this remark. But back to what the Master said, from birth to old age, it's just you. It's just you. Within these, all of these changes in the body-mind, There is something unchanging. He's talking, of course, about the true self. From birth to old age, there's something in a, a Buddhist uh, tradition where the, there's the question 
uh, is the is the man of eighty the same person as the child of eight or not? It's kind of a little koan of its own. To say it's not the same denies the fact that there are certain propensities that we carry through life with us, certain features of our personality or temperament. Parents know that there is this this element of continuity. Uh, they talk about the ways in which their children were different and and uh, and that that still reflects the person, the adult, uh, to one degree or another. So you can't deny that there is this this element of continuity, uh, of selfhood, actually, and of a certain kind. Uh, but you can't. You also can't say that we're exactly the same as we age. Probably don't need to even even elaborate on that. Of course, we're different in some ways. We might even get wiser as we get older with the help of spiritual practice like Zen. And yet, in that whole arc of a lifetime, it's just you. Why turn your head and revolve your brains? This sounds like one of these uh, cleary uh, translations that's quite literal. Revolve your brains. Why, why puzzle over it, the Master's saying? Why make an issue out of it? Um, and that, that the monk had some kind of understanding. And then our Master Foyan comments, what is this principle? From birth to old age, it's just you. Tell me, who is this? Some of you are working on the koan, who is this? Who am I? What is this? goes back to the age of Foyan, 11th century, and far, far, far beyond, farther back, before the Buddha. So once we reached, as a, as a species, once Homo sapiens reached the point of brain development that we could conceive of a self, conceive of an I, me, that's no doubt when the questioning began. Who is this? Really? Not just a name, not just a name your parents gave you. He goes on, as soon as you arouse the intention of seeing who you are, you don't see yourself. 
It is hard to see yourself, very difficult. There was a Native American poet by the name of Michael Robinson of the uh, Ojibwe tribe, and he said this, Inside of me flows a river running deep and fast on a journey into the black mystery of night. When I look, I see only movement and shadows. When I sing, I hear only thunder and the beauty of a moth's wings. And then from our own tradition, Vimalakirti. This is the Vimalakirti Sutra. This body is like floating clouds that change and pass away in a moment. Everything, everything, every phenomenon, including our own, this own our own body-mind complex is a combination of causes and conditions, primary causes and conditions that have a sort of seeming existence, each one of us a seeming existence at any point in time, but that very so-called existence, self, is, is tenuous. It's only, it's only relative. Can't, it's not something of any, any subs, permanent substantiality, unchanging uh, substance to it. Another, Foyan continues, people today say, I am myself, who else? 99 out of 100 understand in this way. What kind of grasp is this on the matter? If you understand in this way, how do you understand the matter of from birth to old age? How can you see it's just you? Well, that statement, I am myself, who else? He's uh, warning us that this is not going to get us anywhere. It's just a kind of a lazy kind of response. I am myself. Okay, good for you. I think I'm thinking of three such lazy statements that you hear all the time now. Um... So one is, it is what it is. Another one is, uh, whatever. And what's the third? You hear it on radio, TV, 
coffee shops. It is what it is, whatever. Now, it'll come to me. <laughs> I thought it was stuck in there pretty deeply. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, it's all good. This is, this is how people impress other people with their profundity. Moving on here. Foyan says, the minute you fixate on the idea that this is it, you are immediately bound hand and foot and cannot move around anymore. Well, this is it. What is it? As, you, as soon as you say this or it, it's already changed. It's like trying to catch the wind. I once heard someone with long Zen experience say that uh, in Zen, we're trying to learn not to reify concepts. When I, when I heard that, I had to look up the word reify, uh, which means to make real. Uh, in this case, to make something that is just conceptual, uh, to make it into something real in our minds, to imagine that concepts can be real. So a more, more common way we, we refer to this is, is Zen is a teaching beyond words and concepts. We use words and concepts all the time. We, are, we say it is what it is and it's all good and whatever, but what? What is all that? Learned uh, combinations of letters and words. Well, the principal concept not to reify is the self, the I. This is the core troublemaker as far as concepts go. He continues, so as soon as, as soon as it is given this recognition, nothing is right, whatever it may be. If you don't fixate on recognition, you can still be saved. Well, here, recognition if you don't get fixed on is and is not, or this and that, if we don't become attached to these as ideas, well, there's still some hope for us. And then he, he uses an analogy. It's like making a boat and outfitting it for a thousand mile journey to a Trevor tr treasure trove. If you drive a stake 
and tie the boat to it before you jump in and start rowing. You can row till kingdom come and still be on the beach. You see the boat waving this way and that, and you think you are on the move, but you've never gone a single step. Oh, this is the same, he's saying the same as clinging to this self-concept. So we have a practice. We have a practice that will pull out that stake and let us move on beyond such ideas as self and other. He goes on, I tell people to get to know themselves. Some people think this means what beginners uh, observe and consider it easy to understand. Reflect more carefully in a more probing manner. What do you call your self? Say a, uh, a famous master, Zen master, who said, "Just get rid of this small mind called self, and there's nothing in the world that can hinder you." When he says some people think this means uh, this uh, getting to know oneself, uh, think this means what beginners think, which is the just looking, looking at the way uh, each each of us might uh, habitually think or act or react. This is this is. Valuable in itself, and it's, it's the province of uh, of psychology, psychotherapy, to notice, to attend to ways that we react to people and circumstances and conditions. It's, uh, has a lot of a lot of merit to it, but this is not the realm that Foyan is talking. About. This is not the realm of Zen. Uh, coming to terms with things in ourself um, habitual patterns uh, of reacting uh, can be useful in getting beyond the self but that's that's when Zen really works for us 
when we can forget about the ways that we are continually reacting and acting and thinking and speaking. Zen is certainly, the work of Zen is certainly the work of noticing those things, but not analyzing them. Analyzing is, is, is just a form of holding on to them. It's, again, there's a place for analyzing them, but it's, it's not in, in Zen in its purest sense. For that, we notice and let go. Notice and let go. In this next passage, he says, Buddhism is an easily understood teaching that saves energy, but people cause themselves pains. The ancients saw people as helpless and told them to try meditating quietly. This was good advice, but later people didn't understand what the ancients meant and closed their eyes suppressed body and mind, and sat like lumps waiting for enlightenment. How foolish. Well, back to this, f- this phrase, sa- saving energy. Um, it's, a, it's a favorite phrase that the Chinese masters use. I've never seen it in translations of Japanese texts. Um, but uh, I'm turning back to the uh, append or afterward, translators afterward. Um, says that Foyan stressed the importance of what he called saving energy, which the translator out- d- d- describes as effortlessly preserving the integrity of the original mind. Even that takes energy to say that mouthful, effortlessly preserving the integrity of the original mind. So whenever we are absorbed in the breath or the koan, whatever our practice is, or with shikantaza, whenever we are uh, not clinging to thoughts, then this is saving energy. It's, it's, It's clinging that saps our energy. Clinging to thoughts. This is a great drain of energy. And uh, as anyone knows who's been to Sashin before, if we can refrain from doing that, then we acquire a, a, a buoyancy, a lightness, and an energy, an energetic quality when we're not bogged down by thoughts. It says again, it says that the Dharma is a teaching that saves energy, but people cause themselves pains. People sabotage themselves. We sabotage ourselves by our attachment, our addiction to our thoughts. So he says the ancients told people to just try meditating quietly. Good advice 
Foyan acknowledges. But later, people didn't understand what they meant and closed their eyes, suppressed body and mind, and sat like lumps waiting for enlightenment. Notice this, close their eyes. In, uh, in, in other kinds of meditation, I think maybe most, I don't know, but certainly it's common enough in other kinds of meditation to close your eyes, but not in Zen. This is, this is a mistake. It's a mistake because we see it as a kind of a, a pulling away from the world, a shutting ourselves off from the world. We don't want to do that. We don't want to shut out the world. We want to learn to be in the world, but not of the world, as I think a, a Christian, one of the Christian mystics said, it doesn't matter who said it, let's make it Zen. To be in the world, but not of the world. That is, we're not apart from it, we're not closed off to the world, uh, but we're not, we're also not attached to it. So we learn through keeping the eyes open uh, that we don't need to escape into some private inner world. That as long as we're not clinging to thought forms, um, we're free, regardless of the circumstances. Of course, there's also the more obvious reason to not to close the eyes because uh, we are more likely to get drowsy when we close the eyes. But I suspect that uh, even people who've been doing this practice for even some years may, may not realize that they, they have slipped into the habit of letting the eyes close during sitting. I suspect that because I did for years, I would catch myself doing that and still have to be on alert not to let that happen when I'm very tired. The eyes need to be open, not wide open. That would be a mistake. Open enough so that your gaze falls. Um, well, when you're facing the wall, your gaze falls about two, two and a half feet for the average person of the average height. Two, two, a couple feet up the wall, even as high as three feet up the wall. When you get under two feet, then your eyes are getting, you're on their way to closing. And once they're on the way to closing, then when you're tired enough, they will finish the job and just close. Sitting like lumps waiting for enlightenment. How foolish. For years, uh, I led sessions in Mexico and um, would have to remind people not to uh, lie on their backs in the sun with their eyes closed. It may feel good. <laughs> But uh, that's not Zen practice.
skip. I'm skipping some of these passages. Here Foyan says, some senior Zen practitioners say they don't rationalize at all, they don't calculate and compare at all, don't cling to sound and form, don't rest on defilement and purity, that is, concepts of purity and defilement. They say the sacred and the profane, delusion and enlightenment, are all a single clear emptiness. They say there are no such things in the midst of great light. They are veiled by the light of wisdom, fixated on wisdom. They are incurable. Here again, he's, he's warning us not to get caught in even the most lovely ideas, concepts, emptiness, non-duality. Such a person has lost her beginner's mind. They've learned too much. And so they become shackled by these Buddhist ideas. It would be hard to teach such a student anything, to work with such a student who say that they're beyond all of these, these dualisms. read once of a, a Zen master who asked his student, are you afraid to die? Afraid of death? And the student said, no. No, not really. And the master said, in that case, you're not going to get anywhere in Zen. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not deny what brought us to this practice. There's some kind of pain, some kind of confusion, frustration, anxiety. Let's honor that. It got us here. It's not pose as being beyond where we are. We can be grateful to our anxiety or our fear for having brought us to practice. Again, we don't want to dwell on those things, but let's not play act. I guess when you when you uh, have reached true realization, then you can speak this way.
He then, in a a passage a little bit later, he says, only when you actually get to the state where there is neither delusion nor enlightenment are you finally comfortable and conserving the most energy. Again, conserving the most energy means really uh, at rest in your original nature. The state where there is neither delusion. In other words, no thought. No thought of delusion. No thought of enlightenment. But for this, he says, you have to be someone who has neither delusion nor enlightenment. Same thing. Beyond such ideas. He goes on, during the 24 hours of the day, what is there deluding you? You should make a truthful assessment of yourself. Well, we're not, the job in Zen is not to take an inventory that has its place in other other realms, um, but to to notice. I would say take this to be, you make a truthful assessment of yourself is notice when you're playing games with yourself. He kind of develops that further here. When you sit meditating and enter into absorption, you should have no concerns or problems in yourself. Try to think independently, all by yourself. Here, there, this is another faulty translation, I would say. Think independently. Uh, it's it's better often to put things in the negative, uh, not to be comparing yourself when you're sitting, comparing yourself with someone else, much less imitating someone else. I, this try to think independently means a lot more than it would mean to. Uh, ordinary people, just being your own self, whatever that means, but uh, to not fall into uh, self and other. That's really what it means, not to fall into notions of self or other. He says, other people don't know what you're doing all the time. You reflect on yourself and see whether what you are doing accords with truth or not. Here you cannot fool yourself. So again, that phrase, see whether what you are doing accords with truth or not. Well, truth means no mind, not being caught in concepts. Not, not, it doesn't mean imagining something out there, some abstraction uh, that we call truth. It's a practice. It's a it's a living thing, not dwelling in ideas. Here, he says, you cannot fool yourself. One of my favorite exchanges that that I've read of between uh, Zhao Zhou Joshu. And uh, one of his monks, the monk asked, what is the principal concern of the one wearing Buddhist robes? And Zhao Zhou said, 
not to deceive himself. There's so much behind that reply, not to deceive oneself. What that requires, to live up to that, requires noticing, awareness. Zen Master Dogen talks about comporting yourself, conducting yourself uh, in, in private, just as you would if people were watching you. I think that, that gets to the same point. The point being integrity. I think that's, that's really comes pretty close to that phrase I just mentioned, try to think independently, to be, to have integrity requires not thinking about other people uh, except to help them <laughs> when that's called for. Uh, just to use a very specific and simple example, uh, those of us with Roxu's um, know that when we sit for the first time each day, we want to place the Raksu on the head, which is a sign of respect, place the Raksu on the head and uh, recite the verse of the Raksu. Uh, if, you're, if you're alone, uh, why not do it out loud? Uh, speak it. Whenever we uh, speak something, something like that, something aspirational or a vow, whenever we do that, it's going to engage us more than just thinking it. That's why we have these rituals and ceremonies where we are speaking aloud. But it's all too easy when you're home alone, um, and especially if you're if you're, you don't have much time, you want to squeeze in as much sitting as you can to just skip over that uh, little Roxu ritual. But uh, the understanding when you have a Roxu is that you do it, even when you're alone. And then over time, it becomes more meaningful. Another one by Foyan. If you seek, how is that different from pursuing sound and form? If you don't seek, how are you different from earth, wood, or stone? You must seek without seeking. That's, that's a tall order. And I think for most of us it takes years, maybe not everyone, but how do you seek without seeking? How do you apply yourself without grasping 
at something you hope to get out of it. We don't want to become attached to objects and the, the most uh, dangerous of all objects is thoughts. mental objects, but also outside objects. And then a very short one here. Just don't arouse the mind or stir thoughts 24 hours a day. Then you will understand comprehensive realization all at once. Again, a very lofty goal, uh, very difficult thing, but there it is. Just don't traffic in thoughts 24 hours a day and you're there. Realization. But who can do that 24 hours a day? So why we just keep trying. Well, uh, we're not done with this section on Foyan, but our time is up, so let's stop now and recite the four vows. And uh, in the in the bells with the four uh, after the four vows, uh, I won't do the accelerando um, because most people uh, who are participating in this uh, won't be doing prostrations. Um, this end uh, in shorter fashion just for people to uh, turn and bow to one another. <clears throat>